So again, thank you for being here with us today. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, and the Lord has certainly done a good job today, hasn't he, showing up? You know, it's amazing. He's never late for church. He's always on time, and he always brings a good word. So today we are going to continue in our study on the book of Malachi. And uh, I've titled the message today, Prepared, Pre- Prepare to be Refined. Prepared to be Refined. We're, be- we're beginning chapter 3 today. And uh, I need to remind us one more time that Malachi had a big assignment from God. And that Malachi was God's messenger And this was going to be the last time God spoke to his people for over 400 years. And uh, they didn't realize that. Malachi, I don't think, realized that. The people certainly didn't realize that. But that's what happened. And so God had some very important words to speak to Malachi, to his people, and also to us. We find a lot of applicable um, things that are said by Malachi to his people but can be applicable to our lives to the, in the day that we live. And if the people would have listened to Malachi, how much they would have benefited by it. And that's just like for us today. If we listen to biblical scriptures and prophets of the day, how much we would benefit as well. Because God's messages always have an impact. Always have an impact. Whether it was then or today or tomorrow, when God speaks... He speaks with great purpose. And I've said so many times in the past, and I'll continue to say it, I don't want it to lose its significance, but all of the theme of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, was all about God's love for us. He's crying out love in everything that's being said and done throughout Scripture. Even in the hard Scriptures, it's all about God's love. And that's the basis of relationship. It's the basis of the relationship I have with my wife, it's love. For us, it changes a little bit. For humans, our love grows, and God's love is perfect. We grow in love with the Lord daily because our love changes for him as well. But his love for us is all-encompassing and all-perfect. But a relationship is based on love. So as we continue to study God's book here, this amazing book of Malachi, I pray that we would... Read it through the lens of love. Because Malachi says some relatively difficult things to his people. So open your Bible, if you would, to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to read the first seven verses today. I'm reading through the New Living Translation. Malachi says, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. We'll come back to that word suddenly a little bit later. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches his clothes. He will will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past. 
At that time, I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we ask you to help us discern what you're trying to say here. You had very precise words that you spoke to the prophet Malachi for the people of his day and also for us today. So help us to understand your word today. Give us a a hearing heart, an acceptable um, way that we would hear your words and learn to apply. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the attributes of God's love and mercy is that he always gives us warnings. Wow. He always gives us warnings and indicators of what he's up to and what he's about to do. God doesn't surprise us. If we're surprised, it's because we're not reading the signs well. God is very intentional in giving us good indicators of of what he's about to do. That's what Scripture is. It's, it's very obvious through Scripture that if we read it and learn it and listen to it and pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and discerning, he, we will find that the that Scriptures are very consistent in that before God does anything, He warns us. He's not out to surprise us. God isn't out there to try to catch us in our sin. That's not the point. That's not love. God's love is very intentional and in that he wants to warn us of what is about to happen so that we take care of, that we, we do what we need to do in our lives so that we're not caught unaware of what he's doing. That's a major characteristic of, of love. I mean, think about the relationships that you have with those that you love. If you love them, you communicate with them. And you speak with them, and you don't intentionally surprise them. Now, we, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. I get that. But a characteristic of love says that we communicate, and we warn, and we indicate when we're going to take that turn so that nobody's caught off guard. And that's what God is doing through the book of Malachi. Malachi can hear about the coming of John the Baptist, foretelling the first coming of Christ. That's what he's talking about in the first verse. At the end of chapter 4, we see Malachi talking about Elijah, who lived a few hundred years before Malachi, talking about another coming of Christ. See, Malachi is talking about things of the day that they're actually in, but he's also prophesying of the coming Messiah and what his role is going to be. So let me summarize quickly here how Christ returns to the earth and when he returns to the earth and how that applies into what Malachi is trying to say. So John the Baptist, 400 years after Malachi speaks his last words, he or so, John the Baptist comes on the scene and he is a forerunner of Christ. He's a rough man. He lives in a desert. He dresses like the prophets of old in camel hair clothes. And 
eats weird things and uh, just is a man living by his own, to his own drumbeat because he's hearing God in a different way than what the Pharisees of the day are. And he's a forerunner of Christ. And that's and he's warning people. He's giving an indicator that Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And the word suddenly he appears. Suddenly Jesus comes on the scene. Even though John the Baptist is telling people that he's coming, they haven't seen him until all of a sudden he appears in a desert when John the Baptist is baptizing people and Jesus walks to John and says, you need to baptize me too. Suddenly it happens, and things happen suddenly. And when they happen suddenly, if we're not forewarned, they can take us by surprise. So the first coming of Christ is forewarned forewarned through John the Baptist. And if Christ reasoned to come first, well, he came as a man, and he came to be the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. He came away to take away our sin and to pay the price of sin and to be our propitiation on the cross. And, and we all know that story. And that was the first coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is yet to happen. And it really comes in two stages. It first comes in the form of the rapture or the taking away of the church. In this particular coming of Christ, the world will not see Jesus. Jesus will appear. He'll just appear in the clouds with a great trumpet sound. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And those that are left behind, that would be you and I, if we're still alive, will look up and we'll see him and we'll be caught up and will be taken from this life. And it'll be taken in a, the twinkling, in the instant of an eye, in, in, the fraction of the, in a fraction of a fraction of a second. All that will be, will be left of us is a pile of clothes, and we're going to be, we'll rise to meet Christ in the air. That's the, that's the return of Christ in the rapture. And that could happen at any time. I, uh, I am feeling it more and more in my soul to start talking more about the rapture. And I think in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking more about the rapture. We're going to be probably giving, getting in the book of Revelation. But I've been feeling the intensity, the urgency of the hour to start talking about the rapture because it is right around the corner. I believe it with all my heart. And I'm hearing other pastors talking about the rapture. And I'm reading more intense literature about it, saying that it's time to wake up. When I look around and we see the signs of the times around us and how rapidly the signs are coming one after another that this world is spinning out of control and the only way out of it is through the taking away of the church and then the beginning of the tribulation and the Antichrist and all that happens in the tribulation time. We're just nearing that point closer and closer. And yes, we've been saying that for a lot of years, but that's okay because we're that many years closer to it. So that's the next coming of Christ in the form of the rapture. After that, then, there come, there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation because we believe in a pre-trib rapture. We believe that we'll be taken out of, the, out of this world before the tribulation starts. We'll, be, we'll, be, we'll escape the coming wrath of God. And then comes, after seven years of tribulation, then comes the return of Christ in a physical form that all the world will see. Jesus will again appear in the heavens, but he will then come down and all the world will see him and he will set his foot on Mount Sinai 
And at that point in time, the battle of Armageddon occurs. Jesus speaks with the words out of his mouth, and the Antichrist is destroyed, and the false prophet is destroyed, and then we move into the millennial reign. And then we begin on a whole other chapter of our existence. So Jesus is coming again, and, and in that time, that's where Malachi talks about, in the fourth chapter of Malachi, talks about Elijah. He's going to be the forerunner of the second coming of Christ. After the tribula- in the tribulation period, he'll be one of the two witnesses, probably. So the question that we need to deal with when we know this is happening, the question I have for us today is, are we paying attention? Are we paying attention to the signs? They're happening all around us. God doesn't do anything without giving us signs. And those that are followers of Christ, they will not be a surprise to us because we're anticipating the return of Christ. Yes, we don't know the day or the hour. We want to be ready the dawn of that day, as we sang earlier today. We don't know that time of the rapture no more than you know the time of your death, which, by the way, will be your rapture. So I guarantee you today that you will see the rapture. I don't know if it's going to be the one that we're all taken together or be your own personal rapture, but you live long enough, you're going to die, as the old saying goes, and you live long enough, that's going to happen, and you're going to see your rapture, and none of us know when that's going to be. So my advice is to live like it could be today because we don't know. So live your heart. Live your life for Jesus. Are we paying attention? It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of life so easy to get caught up that we miss the signs if we're not careful. I totally get it. And not only is it easy for us because we get so busy, but recognize that the enemy is busy trying to distract us. The enemy is very busy because he knows his time is short. If we see the signs, he sees the signs. He's not omniscient like God is. He doesn't know the day or the hour no more than, no, no more than we do, but he sees the signs of the times and he's very active bringing more levels of deception into people so that we miss it, so that we're not anticipating it. So are we paying attention? That's why we need to remember that this world is not our home. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't get so tied to this world that you think you're going to miss it when you leave it. Because I guarantee you that you will not miss this world when you're in heaven. I guarantee that you are going to be so awestruck with Jesus that we say that, well, when we get there, we're going to ask questions of God. Well, I don't think we're going to be able to ask questions for a few million years. I think we're going to be so amazed at God's grace. I think we're going to be so overwhelmed with his presence that we're just going to be dumbstruck. And we're just going to sit there like with our mouths hanging open and say, oh, my, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And I don't think you're going to be able to, I don't think I'm going to be able to put together a sentence for, a, for millions of years. I'm just going to sit in the presence of God and enjoy it because that's what we do. And you know what? That's why we need to enjoy this. That's why we need to enjoy church. Because if I don't enjoy church, if I don't enjoy being in the presence of God now, it's got to make me wonder, will I... Why should I think I'll enjoy it then? I I think that's a good question to ask yourself. If I don't enjoy being in the presence of God now, maybe that should be an indicator that maybe I'm not right in some areas of my life. Why would I think that I'm going to enjoy God then if I don't enjoy him now? You you get it? You know what that means? You, You know what I'm saying in that one? So it's important that we that we recognize who God is. And that he's worthy of our praise no matter 
where we're at, no matter what we're doing. So that we don't get so comfortable here that we let this become our, our goal is to gain as much as I can gain here at the expense of laying ahead treasures in heaven. Yeah, that's so good. So Malachi is giving the Jewish people the information. And we at the same time, if we're wise, we will also heed what he's saying about what is to come. And here's something that we have to recognize, that whenever God appears to men, whenever God appears to men, there has to be a holiness in that interaction. Because God is holy, and God cannot relate. He cannot associate with sin in our hearts and in our lives. So if God is holy, and if God can't change, it doesn't need to change, and if we're going to have relationship with him, if we need to be holy, we're not asking God to level his, lower his bar. What we need to do is raise our bar of holiness. If we're going to match God, we need to raise to his level, not have him come down to our level because he can't and he won't. So if we're going to have any presence with God, we need to raise our hearts to him. That's the nature of pure holiness. Moses is a good example because Moses, when he was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and in the presence of God, he asked God, God, I want to see your face. I mean, Moses was as close to any man besides Adam that could walk with God that I know of in the Bible, besides maybe Elijah. But um, Moses was in the presence of God and, and, and Moses said, can I see your face? Just show me your face. And this is what God said in Exodus chapter 33, verse twenty. Through 23, he says, But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. And the Lord continued, Look, stand near me on this rock. And as my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. So God change. So if God can't change, and if we're going to have a possibility of seeing God, then obviously we must have to change. I must have to change. My character must have to change. If I'm going to be in the presence of perfected holiness, then I must have to change. And that's something that we don't like to think about. We don't like to think that we have to change for anybody. I mean, we're... Americans. (laughs) Americans. <laughs> I mean, we have our freedoms. We have our rights. We are men and women that we can stand on lots of things to say, I'm who I am, and I'm going to be just proud of that, and nobody's going to change me. I mean, come on, that's kind of our prideful way. I get that. I struggle with that. But Malachi is saying here that you're all eagerly looking for the Messiah to come, but be careful what you're asking for, because when he comes, Are you going to be ready to receive him? Are you going to be ready to stand in his presence? Because suddenly, when he comes, things are going to change. Verse 2 of Malachi says, But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. 
reminds me of a passage in Revelations. Revelations chapter 6, beginning at verse 15. It says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Now in this passage in Revelations, we're fast-forwarding a little bit to the tribulation period. The church will be taken away, and God is pouring out his wrath on the earth. And people are going to see what they really are in light of a perfect God. And the wrath of God is coming on those that have rejected God, have rejected Christ, that have rejected the great mercy of God when they had the chance. And this will be so indescribable that we can't even begin to imagine what the fear and the turmoil of that day is going to be. Like we can't imagine what our first days, our first million years, our first millions of years of heaven are going to be like, we can't imagine facing the wrath of God. Just think about that for a minute. When men realize that hope is gone, what are you going to feel like? What's it going to be like? We've gone through some hard times of life, and we still are going through some hard times in life that may appear to be hopeless. But let me just tell you that as long as you have a breath in your lungs, there is hope for you. There is hope for me. There is hope for us because I am not facing the wrath of God yet. But as soon as that next day happens, as soon as that second appearing of Christ happens in the rapture, and if I'm not taken away, I have to go through the tribulation. I'm going to face the hopelessness of what it's like to think about an eternity without God. So today, we need to see the full dimension of God. We need to see what he's like in everything that he is, not just the cuddly, loving God that he is, And so often that the church wants to represent him as just a God full of love and cuddles and compassionate and merciful and all that stuff. And and he is all that. But we need to see the the awesomeness of God's wrath and his anger towards sin so that we can have a proper understanding of how we need to live our life avoiding that and living in and for the things that God is for. So God is warning us. He's wanting all men to come to a fullness of understanding and revelation of Jesus. But yet, before we can really understand that, we need to understand the wrath of God and what was poured out on Jesus. Do you know the the only reason that we have a hope today is because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God? Jesus absorbed the wrath that was reserved for me and reserved for you. And because Jesus absorbed it that day in the cross, we can have the choice to apply that to our lives that I don't have to experience the wrath of God. 
Do we realize that? The fact that Jesus was willing to absorb that for us protects us from that same level of wrath. My commentary says this. When Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, he took God's wrath on himself so that those who accept his forgiveness and entrust their lives to him would escape the wrath of God to come. I don't think we appreciate what Jesus went through on the cross. I think we might appreciate how painful it was because I think we've all cut ourselves or we've all been in some enough accidents that we understand how painful the, the whipping might have been on his back and, and, and the lashing of the, the, cat, the, the, the whip that would just rip his skin off. I mean, it's hard as, I think we could almost appreciate that. Or even the nails driven into his wrist and into his feet. I think we might also be able to even appreciate that. But here's one thing that I don't think we can appreciate. When Jesus hung there and he took his last breaths and the sin of mankind was placed upon him and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, God turned away. The only time that they didn't have perfect relationship, God had to turn his back on his son because of the sin that was placed on him, and Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. That we don't understand. We cannot appreciate that. I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm going to read this chapter, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes as I read this and recognize that this was a prophecy. Recognize that Isaiah was prophesying this hundreds of years before it ever happened. This is a prophecy of what the wrath was going to be like for Jesus to absorb for us. Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. 
But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will be made, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Some translations say that it was God's pleasure to crush Jesus. Man, that is so hard for us to appreciate. But God knew the big picture of it all. He knew what Jesus had to go through in order for us to have relationship with God on a holy level, only the way we can through Jesus Christ's holiness, that Jesus had to be crushed. And God took pleasure in that. That's how much God loves you. Don't ever question God's love when he crushed his son for you. Don't ever question God's love. So what does this have to do with Malachi? Well, to understand this, we need to recognize that what we just read here in Isaiah was the harshness of God's love and his wrath, and it was prophetic in nature. Isaiah wrote that and never knew, never lived to see it happen. That's the power of God's prophetic word. And so if we can read that in a prophecy, and then if you read through the Gospels, you will see that it happened exactly the way Isaiah prophesied it. See, that has to prove to us the validness of God's word. If, if God's word is so accurate in prophecy then, it's accurate in prophecy today. Jesus is coming soon. His rapture to take away the church is coming soon, no matter what people say. No matter about how much you can say, well, I've heard it all my life and it hasn't happened yet. So what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen just as it's written, proved by what Isaiah said to what would happen to Jesus. And it happened exactly that way. So when Malachi is prophesying, what he's saying to us is that we need to know what Malachi is saying to the people applied then and it applies now for you and I today. So let's go back to Malachi and look at verse 3. He says, he, says, he will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the, by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. Now what is the purpose of a refining fire as Malachi is talking about? I was going to play a little video, and it didn't work out, but I was going to play a little video of what it looks like to refine silver or gold and the process that it takes, beginning with mining it out of the ground. It comes out in the form of rocks. It doesn't look, there's no value in it all by what you see 
because it's just gray rocks. They take it, they dig it out of the ground, out of mines quite often. They big big rocks, they put it through big crushers and they crush it and make it smaller rocks, and then they put it through tumbling blocks, and they, they go through all the process to then take it into a dust form, and then they put it into dust, and then they have to melt it down, and then they have to refine it multiple times. A lot of work in refining the silver and the gold out of the, out of the elements of, this, of, the, of what they get out of the ground. It's not an easy process. I guess let's just leave it there. It's not an easy process. And it has to be heated up and, 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 and melted down and great fire is applied to it and great persecution, if you will. Great hard work is put on that. And then uh, the dross, and the dross is what happens as it, as it melts, the impurities of the metal rise to the surface because it's not as heavy as the metal that you're trying to, to, to glean out of it. And the dross raise, rises to the top and they have to scrape the dross off and then they let it dry. They let it cool into another block. Then they do it all over again. They melt it multiple times. And every time it melts it, it has to draw the dross off it. I think people that are, you know it. I mean, Joe, working in iron works, you know what they got to do to purify iron and to make it. You know the process. It's a hard process. Let's turn to Isaiah again. Isaiah chapter 1. Again, hundreds of years before this. Isaiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel, declares, Ah, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful one. Do you see the commonality between what Malachi is saying and then what Isaiah is saying and how we have to be purged of the impurities of our sin? And that if we're going to be a righteous man or a righteous woman, if we're going to have a standing with God, our impurities need to be refined out of us. He's going to have to pour out his wrath on his enemies, but he's going to purge you and I, his chosen ones, so that he can drive out the impurities of us. What, here's something very important to rem- remember, that in the process of refining, even though it's hard, they don't throw away the silver. They just get the bad stuff out of it. The gold and the silver has to go through the process of getting the impurities boiled and, and fired out of them. And so it takes great work. But God or people don't throw away. They don't throw away what they're going after. And let me just say it this way. God is not throwing you away. Yeah, I have some impurities in me. But he sees the preciousness of me. He sees, what, he sees my potential. He sees what he wants in me. He sees the gold of my life. Therefore, he's going to refine me so that the dross of my life is burned away and peeled away so that I'm left more pure and more like him. You know, it's like it also said in in Malachi about the the soap. He said that, um, for he will be like a blazing fire that refines metals or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. Now, maybe we, can listen, maybe we can apply this a little bit easier to our life. We all have our favorite pair of jeans, right? 
the favorite pair of clothes you like to wear, that shirt or something that you like the best. You know, when it gets dirty, do you throw it away or do you just put it in a washing machine so that you can wear it again, so you can wear it again later? No, what's happening here, what this refining process that we're talking about, God's not angry at you and he's not angry at me when he refines me. He just says, you're one of my favorite pair of jeans and I love to put a clean pair of jeans on. So I'm going to throw you in the washing machine so that I can get the dirty out of, the, out of your jeans so that I can put on a clean pair of jeans. That's what he's doing. He's refining us. He's just washing us so that he can enjoy our presence again. You don't throw away what you, what you cherish. You take care of it. You wash it. You maintain it so that you can wear it another day. And it's a daily thing, by the way. That's why relationship is so important because it's a daily relationship we have with the God that, that we know that we pick up sin in the world every day. We, just by walking out of this church today, you're walking through your week, you're going to pick up some stuff. You're going to pick up some of the stuff of the world. And, and he says, I want to wash it out of you. I'm going to scrub you a little bit today. I'm going to put some heavy soap on you, and I'm going to scrub you down a little bit, get the junk out of you so that we can have a pure relationship again. And our, our reaction should be, wash me, God. Wash me. Do what you got to do. You crushed Jesus, so crush me. I need to die to my sin like Jesus died to sin. And it wasn't even his sin that he died to. It was mine. John chapter 4, 23 and 24 says this, yet a, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. That's the ultimate goal of what Malachi is saying in, in verse 4. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to Him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as He did in the past. As he does the refining process, then our sacrifices will be acceptable once more to him like they were in the past. See, God's plan is very clear. He's given us advance notice that the purpose of the testing of our life is not to hurt you. It's not to pour out his wrath on you. It's to refine you. Like gold is refined, like silver is refined. You know when you know when the, the the refiner of silver. I've heard it said that when they refine silver, they have to watch it. That's why it says when they sit like a refilled, like a refiner of silver, a refiner of silver has to be watching the process because the silver, if they let it be in the in the heat too long, it will actually burn the silver up. So they have to know when it's time to take the silver out of the fire. And the question was asked, well, how do they know? They know because the silver is pure when they can see their reflection in the silver. That's just like Jesus. When our reflection is seen, when, when Jesus looks on us and he sees Jesus coming back at him, then he says, yes, now you're refined because we're seeing, we're reflecting the character of Christ in our life. Jackie, would you come? I'm hoping that we can understand this. I'm hoping that we can understand the, the crucible of the crushing process 
that we don't get offended by it, that we don't get angry at God, that we don't say, God, why are you doing this to me again and again and again? Pastor Ken said it so well last week. God is for us. God is for us in everything that happens to us because he knows what his plan is for us. And his plan is to make him more like him, less like ourselves. And the only way he can do that is to get the dross out of our life. And he does it through the refining fire. I know some people look at messages like this and they get angry at the preacher and they get angry at the message and so what they'll do, they'll run to another church that doesn't preach this. They preach the easy messages, the candy messages. This is the meat of God's word. This is what we're here for. This is what refines us. This is what we need. This is the love of God's word. Today, I want to end with communion today. And I want to, as we partake of the elements, I I want to just help us to remember the crushing that happened in the life of Christ for us. And that refining process that he's asking you to go through. Now, you have a choice. You can run away from the refining process if you want to. You can avoid it, thinking that you're going to be better off by not going through the the testing of God, only to be disappointed in the end. Or we can say, God, wash me. Jesus, do your work in me. Purify me. Close your eyes and pray with me if you would. Father, just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we know how much you love us. We know your word is true and we know that you love us more than what we can appreciate. So Lord, help us now to trust you in the process of being refined. Prepare us to be refined as Malachi was saying to his people. Help us to understand that refining process to be a good process, to be a good thing for us. Help us not to run away from it. Help us not to hide from it. But help us, Father, to look to you and say, help us through it, Jesus. We need you more and more today. This morning, if you're struggling in this process, the answer is not justification of yourself. Your answer is saying, Jesus, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I repent of my sin again. Please forgive me. And his answer is yes. Yes, I will forgive you because I love you, because you've recognized who Jesus is and what he did for you and the wrath that he absorbed for you. And Jesus is reaching out to you and God the Father is reaching down to you and the Holy Spirit is enticing you and encouraging you to give all to Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.